uh, if you could come out um, and you get to meet your teachers, all of the children, and uh, we'll have a, a great evening together. Dean has an announcement to make here as well. All right. Good morning, everybody. How is everyone today? Holiday weekend. What month is it now? September. When does choir begin? September. Yay. It is here. Now, because of the holiday weekend, we don't begin this Sunday. But guess what starts next Sunday? We start choir practice again. All right. And we're not scheduled to sing till the fourth Sunday. There's actually five Sundays in September. Um, and then we usually are going first and third Sundays. Uh, the choir practices immediately following the service, and we are usually finished around 12 to 10 after 12. Uh, as we finish here around quarter after 11 till it's 11.30 till we kind of get started. So we have about a 30-minute to 40-minute uh, practice. Now, I have a question for you. If you are sitting here today, and there's somebody who sits next to you who sings really nice. Can I see your hand, please? Oh, everybody's scared to put their hand up. Oh, my goodness. You know what? I don't think this is a truth-telling group here. Because you know what? I, I, I sit out here, and I hear the singing of this church. And it's one of the things I've always loved about this church after being here for 20-some years um, is uh, uh, the music and the singing and the love of singing of this congregation. And basically, I'm kind of putting all this out there is that we do need uh, some voices in the choir. There are positions open in every place. We need a bass or two. We need a tenor or two. We need a alto or two. We need sopranos or two. If you say, I can't sing that real high soprano, we have second sopranos. Um, okay. Um, so everybody just want to let you know that next week, right after the service, we will be beginning uh, our choir season. So uh, think about it, pray about it. Um, if you want to be a part of that, um, you know, I, I hope that you all have been blessed by the choir over these many years. Um, I know that I have. Um, just, just being able to hear this crew up here uh, lead in worship uh, and just praise to the Lord God Almighty. It's just, it's, it, it moves me just to be a part of this. And so I, I, I greatly appreciate the choir and just want to open that welcome. Oh, one other thing is this is open to everybody who is in high school or above. So even though it says adult choir, if you are a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior in high school, you do qualify for that. So we want you to know that you are welcome to join us. All right? So thank you so much. I feel like everyone's going to sing really quiet this week, Dean, so the people next to them don't, don't tell you. No, but please, really, though, it's what a great opportunity. And I know, I know, just speaking personally, man, I, I am so blessed by the choir to sit there and to hear the testimony that's, that's sung through song. Uh, what a powerful, powerful message uh, and a powerful way that the Lord uses the choir. So if, if you have uh, the vocals, you are interested, man, please join. That would be awesome. It, it's, it is uh, an awesome, awesome ministry. Would you pray with me as we begin our service this morning? Lord, we're so thankful to kick off the new year. Lord, we think about Awana starting back up in choir, and, and Lord, it's just um, so exciting to think, uh, Lord, again, as we, as we start in the fall. Um, Lord, we ask that you would, uh, Father, bless these ministries. Father, may their numbers continue to grow. May the message be ever so clear. Lord, we ask this morning as, as we 
um, have gathered together for you, Father, to hear from you, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would remove the distractions, Lord, the weight and the, the, the chains that we have brought in with us, Lord, that you would remove those, that, Lord, we may focus just on you. We're a family, and we're thankful to be that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship the Lord together? Creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, Hallelujah! Thou burning sun with golden beam, silver. Sins far away, 
Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, oh glorious day. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is seen.
that we have, we can have this personal relationship with Jesus, amen, and you can know him personally, what a friend we have. Yeah. 
Amen. Great singing. Would you take a moment to turn around and shake someone's hand? Welcome them to Word of Life Chapel. This
Thank you, Steve. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for this special day. Lord, each day is special, but Father, to be able to come here into this sanctuary, uh, Lord, makes this day even more special. Father, we appreciate being surrounded by loved ones and friends. Father, we appreciate you being here with us. Father, the Bible says that you are omnipresent, that is, that you're everywhere. But there's a special sense of your presence when, Lord, your people meet together. And so when we come into this house, Lord, we sense that presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit, the moving of your Spirit, the indwelling of your Spirit. Father, we thank you that you have come to take residence inside of us. Father, we know that we're children of yours, not because of what we've done, not because of anything, Lord, that we have experienced or merited, but Father, all because of your grace. You have saved us. You have given us new life. You have given us a home in heaven in which we long for and look forward to. But Father, in this life, there is much to be done. There are many people around us, Lord, who need to hear the sound of the gospel, who need to hear of the name of Jesus, to see in us the joy of the Lord, a peace that passes all understanding. Father, help us to mirror your Son. I pray that people, when they see us, they might see Jesus. Father, we are thankful for the new ministries that are undergoing shortly. We are thankful for the ability to be able to reach out into this community to our children through Awana. I pray, Lord, that our leaders might be very sensitive to the needs of the children, that, Father, you might give to us a deep love for each one, and that, Father, you might bring to us those who need to hear that Jesus loves them and cares for them. Lord, I pray that we might have folks in place to be able to minister in an effective way to those, Lord, who will be coming to these doors this Wednesday. I thank you for the choir. Father, we know what music does. It moves us. It stirs us. It emotionally, Lord, draws us into your presence. And we're thankful, Lord, that the choir now under Dean's leadership is able to get started this month. Father, I pray that there would be many who would choose to be a part of this ministry. Father, we pray that these positions that Dean mentioned might, might be filled. Father, we thank you again for these ministries that will be starting. And pray, Lord, that your hand might be upon them. Father, I think of Sandy Snyder this morning who has come through hip surgery. And we do ask that, Lord, in her recovery process that all would go extremely well. 
Father, we pray that very soon she would be able to join us and, Father, to be up and around and being able to do the things that she needs to do. Father, for others on this list, we pray. Father, there's many who are experiencing one type of suffering or another. Father, we commit each one to you. And we ask, Lord, that you might draw very close to them. Again, Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you that you have brought us together. Lord, as we open the bread of life, I pray that your spirit might work powerfully in each of our hearts. May we hear what we need to hear. May we take the scriptures and apply them to our lives. Again, Father, for the time you've given us, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in hymn number 55, For the Beauty of the Earth. The book of James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. And this hymn, as we sing it, reminds us of some of those good gifts that we get from above. Will you stand with me as we sing hymn number 55, and then those in junior church can be dismissed. Hymn number 55. <laughs> For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the sky, for the love which from our earth over and around the line, for of all to thee we pray, this our hymn of grateful praise. For the beauty of the 
this one. Bengals versus the Vikings. Andy Dalton looking for a receiver. Tyler Crawford. Wait a minute, you have to see from another angle of why this young man dropped this ball. Look at you waving your arm. Man, hit me, Andy Dalton. Are you serious? If you want to call for the ball, you got to catch the ball. Man, your coach is leaving after this season. Maybe you need to go with him. Come on, man. All right, guys, Icelandic what? soccer. What? Yes, Icelandic what? soccer. Off a free kick. It gets defended, but wait. Check out what happens. Insult to injury. Watch it again. The defenseman kicks it out, but it hits his own teammate in the face, and the ball goes into the net. That is not the way to use your head. Come on, man. <laughs> All right, man, let's take this thing out to the Coliseum. The Raiders and the Cowboys. Fourth and one play. Dak Prescott takes the snap. Trying to get the first down with a quarterback sneak. The, best. the Raiders, of course, think they have this thing stopped. So what do you use in an important situation like this when you can't figure it out? Well, you use a postcard. And I do put emphasis on postcard. Look at the smirk on Gene Steratore's face. <laughs> I got you. Man, Gene Steratore, a postcard? You know what it reads? Oakland Raiders, kiss your playoff chances. Goodbye, Gene Steratore. Come on, man. <laughs> All right. QB's had some trouble connecting on Sunday. And Jacksonville, Blake Bortles throws a touchdown pass. Everyone check out the celebration on Sunday. Oh, man. Hey, Blake, you got to get ready for prime time, man. You're going to playoffs. You got to make this right. Get these high fives set up. And another connection problem in Washington. Lane Gabbard throws it off T.J. Foster. Boom. Helmet. Right on the money. Foster isn't looking, and Gabbard doinks it Wait. off his head. Yeah. Quarterbacks, late in the season, come on. We got to get on the same page. Come on, man. Yeah. For a sermon series. Come on, man. When someone makes a terrible mistake or a horrible play, I want you to think with me for a moment this morning. The Bible says that in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heaven and the earth. That in six days, God created all that we see around us. God created light. God created the water and dry ground. God created the plants and the birds and the fish and the animals. And then on that sixth day, God created man. And God loved man. And God placed man in a perfect environment. God desired a relationship. Put him in the Garden of Eden. Provided everything he needed. And then we read that man lived happily ever after. No. The Bible says man fell. And man made terrible mistakes. And took and made horrible choices. Come on, man. What we're going to do in this series is this morning we're going to look at the creation of man. And then in the next four sermons, we're going to look at man's failure. Today we look at God creating man in his image. Next week we'll look at the fall, where man ate of the forbidden fruit. 
We will then look at the murder of one brother against, his other, against the other. When Cain took his brother Abel's life. We will then look at the flood. And the Bible says in the flood text, it says this. It says that every thought of his heart was evil all the time. That was the thought of man. All he had in his thought process was evil and wickedness. And then we'll conclude with the Tower of Babel, where the tower was said to reach heaven in order to make a name for themselves. And I say to myself, come on, man. God loves you. God has given you all of this. And yet you continually fail and you continually fall and turn your backs on God. So this morning, the creation of man. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. And let's see how God created us. That whole process of the creation of of man. Look in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The first point this morning is this. Man was created by God. Now I know you say that's basic to our Christian faith. We, but not everybody believes that, as well you know. And you students who are going back to school and are already there, you will hear from teachers, and you will hear from professors that God did not create man, but man has evolved. You know, the earlier acts of creation, if you kind of page down through chapter 1, we continually read where God makes a simple command and it is fulfilled. God says, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be a vault. And there was. Let there be lights in the sky. And there were. Let the land produce living creatures, and they were produced. And so all the way through this week, God says, let there be, and there was. But when it comes to man, we read, let us make mankind in our image. He doesn't say, let there be, but we are going to create man in our likeness. 
Now you notice the words, let us, and in our. The suggestion is that there is a Godhead. That there is a Trinity. That there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within that Godhead. We believe one God, but made of three persons, each having their own separate rule, roles. So God gets together, and it's as if he speaks to himself, as it were. We, we are going to create man. And this man will be created in our image, in our likeness. There was great consideration put into this. It's not going to be any creation like anything else we have made. We're making something different. Man, who will be the crown of our creation, who will not be on par with any of God's creation. And so God created man. He did not evolve. You know, there really are only two options, are there not? Either you believe that God created, or we have come from a lesser form. But God said, let us create. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God created man. Something unique. Something very distinctive. Let us create this man and create him in our image. So let's look at image. What does that mean when we say that man was created in the very image of God? Three times in this one verse it speaks of being created in his image. And then later it speaks of being created in their likeness. The phrase is unequaled in the rest of the creative acts. Everything that was created prior to this, it says God created after its kind or after their kind. But here, man is patterned after God. We have something in us that is God-like. Unlike any other of what God has made. All the other things that God has created, it was after their kind or according to their kind. In other words, you can't cross over. There are boundaries. You can take a lab and a poodle and come up with a labradoodle. But you can't take a cat and a poodle and come up with a catadoodle. You, you don't cross over. God has made boundaries. This is one of the problems of the evolutionary uh, theory. Those missing links between species and between kinds. But when God made man, he said, we are going to make man according to our image. In our image. In our likeness. So what does that mean? What part of you is God-like? What part of you has been made in God's image? 
You know, theologians, they debate the precise meaning of what that is. But let me suggest a few things. Number one, intellect. Man is different than animals in intellect. Man can think. Man can plan. We can analyze. We can organize. We can reason. We can investigate. We can create. We may become an expert scientist or a, a brilliant reporter, a school teacher or a computer technician. I also think it means this, that we as man, we know the basic moral law. That there's something in us, and Paul says that, that the law was written on our hearts. That we understand that it's, it's wrong to lie. There's something in us that says it's wrong to swear and to rob and to abuse children. There's a law that has been written on our hearts. Now I know that, you know, the image of God has been tarnished in mankind today after the fall. But the image is still there. Every man on the street has been created in the image of God. We also have a will. We have the ability to choose. We have the ability to make choices. And we understand that in those choices, there are consequences. We have been created to be free moral agents. You and I, we have the choice to choose Jesus or reject him. When the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can believe or we can reject. When the Bible says, confess your sins, we can choose to do that or not to do that. We have been created with a will. I thought of another word. It's the word beauty. Another part of us that is like God. We can create and appreciate form and sound. We are inspired by music. We can appreciate on the wall a piece of art. We can walk out in the evening and look up and be awed at a sunset or be moved at music. This is something that you don't find in an animal. This is something that is unique and distinctive in man. And then one final word, and this certainly is not an exhaustive list, but the word relationship. We need people in our lives. God said to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. We have been made for community. We have been made to be with families and friends and have fellowship. And more importantly, we have been made to have communion with God himself. We're able to talk with God. And we are able to listen to his voice. These are things that are unique in man. I think there's another thing that it means to be created in God's image, and it's this. That human life is valuable. That every person, having been created in the image of God, is to be, is to be treated with respect. 
That means we don't kill unborn babies. Even if it's not convenient or the child may be deformed. All human life is sacred and precious in the sight of God. At the end of life, the elderly, maybe they can't think clearly anymore, but they are to be treated with dignity and care. And so, from abortion to euthanasia, these things cheapen the value of human life having been created in the image of God. There's something else we read here in this text, and it's that man was to rule over creation. Man was to rule over creation. In verse 26, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that for the purpose that they might then be able to rule over. And again, down in verse 28, be fruitful, increase in numbers, fill the earth, and subdue it and rule over it. The Bible says we have been created to rule over creation. One of the parts of being created in God's image is that God, being sovereign, delegates that sovereignty to us to rule over his creation. He delegates to us sovereignty to be able to rule over and have dominion over what he has made. Martin Luther, the great German theologian, I was reading something he quoted in um, lectures on the book of Genesis, and I thought um, it was quite fitting. This is what he says. He says, I am fully convinced, fully convinced that before Adam's sin, all right, pre-fall, before Adam's sin, his eyes were sharp and clear, and they surpassed those of the lynx and the eagle that Adam was stronger than the lions and the bears, whose strength was very great, but he handled them the way we today handle puppies. And later on, as he begins to think about Adam's intellect, Martin Luther says this, if we're looking for an outstanding philosopher, let us not overlook our first parents while they were still free from sin. And these things gave us the capacity to rule over God's creation. You know, it's interesting to me that right after verse 28, where God says rule over the fish and rule over the living creatures, in verse 29, God says this, and I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. God doesn't say at this point before the fall, Adam, you can eat a chicken. 
Adam, no. Adam, you are going to be a vegetarian. You will only eat plants and you will only eat vegetables. Listen, it was not until after the flood that God decides, okay, now you can eat animals. Back in chapter 9, let me read a couple of verses to you. In Genesis chapter 9, we'll look at this when we get to the flood. But in chapter 9, verse 3, it says this. Now this is after the flood and God's speaking to Noah. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I now give you everything. So now, after the flood, man begins to eat meat. Not before the fall. Before the fall, man was only eating vegetables. So the relationship between man and animals before the fall was quite different than it is today. In Isaiah chapter 11... And I want to read this to you. We have a description of the relationship between man and animals during the millennial period. Someday in the future, there's going to be a thousand-year millennial period, and the whole um, relationship between man and animals will change. This is what it says. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. And the calf and the lion and the yearling together. The little child, he will lead them. The cow will feed with a bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. There's going to be a different relationship in the future during the millennial period. And it appears to be the relationship that it that was in existence before the fall. That Adam had that kind of relationship with animals. He wasn't hunting them down to eat. Now there's something else I like to read in chapter 9, in, ch in verse 2. Listen to what this says. It says, Now the fear and dread, this is after the flood, talking to Noah, the fear and dread of you, Noah, and mankind will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and on the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. During the time of Adam, there was no fear of man in animals or animals in man. So they lived in harmony together. But now, after the flood, that all changes. Now God puts in animals and birds and fish a fear of man. And I believe it was probably to uh, protect um, both animals and man. Right? I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. Suppose that there was no fear in animals today of man. It wouldn't be much sport to go out and hunt deer this fall. Right? You go out with your rifles and here comes a little deer running up to you and licking your face. <laughs> but God put fear in that deer. And God put fear in animals so they stay away from man. 
God was trying to protect them, but I think he also put fear in them to protect us. What if there was no fear of man in animals? What if you were hunting and you saw a bear, bear in the woods and he didn't run from you? They're not afraid of you anymore. They're coming right at you. So God puts now, after the flood, a fear and dread of man in animals. And we're allowed now to eat them. So we hunt them down, we shoot them, and we eat meat. That wasn't the way it was during the fall, or prior to the fall. That's not the way it was. God now has put fear, the fear of man in animals. The final point I would like to make this morning is this, that man was formed by God. That man, we were formed by God. What I read in chapter 1 was the creation of man. It was more like the announcement or the pronouncement that God created. When we come to chapter 2, we have a little more detail as to how God created and formed man. Chapter 2 does not come after the six days. God created everything in six days and he rested on the seventh. So chapter 2, what we're going to read in just a moment, fits into day 6, the creation of man. It just gives us a little more detail about the formation of man. So look at chapter 2 now in verse 7. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Jump down to verse 20. At the end of verse 20, it says, for, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to him. So in chapter 1, we have the announcement that God created man. Now in chapter 2, we have a little more information a little more detail as to how God did that. And here we read that God created man out of dust, pre-existing material. Oh, it's true that there was a time when there was only God, nothing else existed, and God created out of nothing. But God, in creating man, he chooses the dust of the ground. There's a story, a humorous story that's told of a scientist who comes to God one day and says, God, we don't need you anymore. We have figured out how to create man. Oh, you did, God says to the scientist. Yes, we, we have figured out a way to create man. Well, God says to the scientist, would you show me how you do that? Prove to me that you can create man. And the scientist says to God, you come with me and we'll go back to my laboratory. And on their way, the scientist reaches down and grabs a handful of dust. 
God says, wait a minute. You get your own dust. <laughs> when God created man, he took a handful of dust, and the Bible says he created man from that dust. Up to that point, there's no life in Adam. Up to that point, all there is is a lifeless body. Now, the Bible says that when we die, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, right? The body dies, goes back into the ground. It, it goes into the ground from where it came. But God wasn't finished with Adam. The Bible says that God then breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man then becomes a living being. It's at that point that God breathes into Adam and creates the soul or the spirit of man. And so at funerals, I make sure that people are aware that the body that's lying in this casket, this will turn to dust. But this is not the real person. The real person has been separated from the body. The dust goes into the ground. The spirit of man goes to live to be with Jesus. So God now, in creating Adam, he creates him from the dust, but then he breathes into his nostrils and he becomes a living being or a living soul. And again, here is where we see the difference or the distinction between man and animals. When Fluffy dies, <laughs> Fluffy goes into the ground. Fluffy has no soul. When man dies, his body goes into the ground, but the soul or the spirit lives forever. Dust thou art, and dust you will return. It's the soul, it's the spirit of man that sets man apart. That sets man apart from all of God's creatures. It was the breath of God that creates the image of God in man. God is not physical. So the image of God is something spiritual. And at this point, when God breathes into the nostrils of Adam, he breathes the image of himself into man and creates that living soul. But then God creates woman. And again, it's um, not out of nothing, but he actually, God puts Adam to sleep he falls into this deep, deep sleep. And while he's sleeping, uh, God uh, reaches into the side of Adam and grabs one of his ribs, pulls it out, closes up the wound, and he creates Eve from existing material, from the very rib of Adam. And he calls her woman, which actually means out of man. She was made from man. Now, I want you to notice something I read a little earlier over in verse 27. It says at the end of verse 27, male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Today we hear there are essential, essentially no real differences between male and female. I'm here to tell you there are some real differences between men and women. Men are not women, and women are not men. 
And one of the saddest things we hear of in the world today is men trying to be women and women trying to become men. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, that is unnatural. It is unnatural for a man to want to be a woman and a woman to want to be a man and men to be with men and women to be with women. I say this and it always creates a snicker, but it's true. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God created male and female. Male and female. And so we come to the end of chapter 2, and we have these two created beings, we have male and female. We have Adam and Eve. Perfect in every way. And God takes these two and places them in this garden. A place that they can call home. It's a perfect place. It's a place where there is no sin. There is no death. There is harmony in every way, shape, and form. Adam and Eve, they can walk and they can talk with God in this garden. It's a place where God created just for them. A place where they can raise their family. A place where there will be no trouble. A place where everything is to go well. A special place. The Bible says man lived happily ever after. Come on, man. Everything changes when we come to chapter 3. Father, we come before you this morning and we are thankful that, Lord, you are a God who creates. You are a God, Lord, who has made everything around us. Father, I pray that you would help us to grasp the fact that we have been created by you. I pray, Lord, for young people going into schools and colleges this fall, that, Lord, they might understand, that they might be hearing things that are not according to Scripture that they might understand, Lord, that you have made man in your image. That sets us apart. That makes us unique. It makes us special. It makes us valuable. So we thank you, Lord, for your creation. We thank you, Lord, for giving us your word that helps us to understand how everything around us has come into existence. You are great. You're an awesome God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is my Father's world. Hymn number 58. And to my listening ears all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. Let's stand. We'll sing this and we'll be dismissed.
my father's world and to my listening ears nature sings around me the music of the spheres this is my father's world rest me in the thought of rocks and trees of stars and As the creator, as the ruler, as our sovereign God, we thank you for that position which you hold. So even though we may look around us and we may see things that uh, don't appear to be right, uh, Lord, you still sit on the throne. Uh, you still are a sovereign, omnipotent God, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 